This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Inder Singh. I am CFO of ARM, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 639. The point that's absolutely right is we had our highest ever revenue inbound bookings during Q2. And I think that is precisely because people are now thinking, well, online has to be the way forward. Everything's much easier if everything's online, you know, remote working, et cetera, et cetera. It's also much more efficient, you know, if you can get your customers to pay automatically rather than having to chase them, that's much better. It makes cash flow quicker. That's really important. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak with Catherine Burkett, CFO of Go Cardless, a B2B fintech company shaking up the payment space. Catherine's finance career began at KPMG, which she soon left to become manager of FPA for Interroute, a large European network that within four short years would promote Catherine to the CFO office. It was an accelerated path, and one she looks back upon with both pride and candor. We speak to Catherine about her accelerated path and her latest CFO chapter at Go Cardless after this. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt, your need to evolve, your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, visit us at Workday.com. Hello, we're speaking with Catherine Burkett, CFO of Go Cardless. Catherine, welcome. Hi, very, very pleased to join you. So we're going to begin where we always do, of course, which is ask our guests to look back for us. We do want to learn about Go Cardless, but we're going to first ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your past, your career, uh, and what were those experiences you feel prepared you for a, a finance leadership role? What would you share with us? Yeah, sure. So um, I uh, come from a very ordinary background, uh, probably a very British uh, sort of definition, but I went to a, you know, I just a very ordinary comprehensive school here in the UK um, and up from in the north of England. So my grandparents were all miners, um, etc. So very much originally working class. Um, I uh, always sort of did well at school, uh, probably much more down to my own capability rather than necessarily being a, you know, a very, very hard studier. So I was probably lucky in that respect, uh, but also always very numerical because I love maths and I love numbers. So um, I went on to university, was the first person from my family to go to university. Um, and I did a maths and economics degree at, at Durham University here in the UK. Um, so uh, that was kind of a change. And I knew that then sort of my eyes opened to a much wider world than what I'd seen in truth growing up um, in the village that I did. Uh, and I was always very, very ambitious from a work perspective. Really hard to define why, to be perfectly honest, because 
Uh, you know, it's not like there's, I've got heritage within my family. You know, my mum and dad both had sort of professional jobs, but we're not, my mum worked in a school as the finance officer. My dad was, was a mechanical engineer. Um, but I just had this drive and I knew that I wanted to work in business. I was lucky enough that I actually got sponsorship through university. So I'm also old enough that it existed uh, then. So uh, what was British Gas actually sponsored me through my university and that gave me an insight into finance. Uh, so I pretty much knew I wanted to work within finance. I graduated in the, 90, the mid 1990s. So that was the, the point at which I was coming to an end of the recession kind of of the early nineties. And so there were not a lot of job opportunities around. And I basically decided to join uh, KPMG uh, within the audit profession. Um, and I loved everything about accountancy. I've got to say my degree, I'm not really a natural academic. Uh, so maths, the economics I enjoyed, the maths I found very, very difficult once I got to university. But I came to accountancy and very sadly, you might say, uh, double entry was the most uh, natural thing to me in the world. So I sort of found my accountancy exams very easy. I uh, did very well in them and also I managed and was lucky that I got involved very early on in my career at KPMG with things that were not audited. So I was very I was very um, kind of on some interesting assignments to do with some companies that perhaps had not reported their results correctly uh, and because of that I got an opportunity to move into what was then the corporate finance department of KPMG, what you would now term sort of transaction services, so doing due diligence on, on new businesses. This was all based up in Leeds, up in up in Yorkshire. Um, so I did a couple of years um, in that area. I, at that point, also discovered my love for financial modeling. Uh, so what would be coding today was then, you know, really building Excel models. Um, and I, I absolutely loved it. Um, so at that time, I had also met my now husband uh, and we both decided we wanted to move to London. So give something different a go. So we moved to London and I um, decided, knew that I also wanted to leave KPMG. I felt that working in a business environment was right for me. Uh, so I joined a company called Interroot. Not a business you would have heard of, uh, but I joined there as a 28 year old, uh, basically to head up their financial planning and analysis department. It was, there will definitely be some, I'm sure companies like Level 3 um, that you'll, I'm sure you'll know that now is CenturyLink in, in the US. Uh, Interroot was that type of a business, but based in Europe. So we owned a big fiber optic telecoms network. And I joined right at the very start of, of the project. So basically it was a construction project when I joined. Uh, and we were doing business plans. We had money invest, invested from a company called Alcatel uh, at the time before the telecoms crash. So this is, we're around 99, 2000. So this is the point at which telecoms is booming. Um, so Interroot was the last fiber build in Europe. Uh, but it also meant that we were spending an awful lot of money and we had zero revenues. So um, I was lucky in the sense that I became known to the very senior management and also the majority shareholder um, because I was owner of the business plan. Uh, so therefore, they, they sort of got to know me. Interview went through quite a lot of difficulties, um, basically went through a restructuring, uh, equivalent of Chapter 11 um, in the US. Um, so we uh, we basically went through that because the structure of the business was just never viable on a long term basis. Um, and I was pulled into a team that worked through all the very, which at the time was very confidential workings of how we were going to try and restructure the business. It really looked like it was all over. So this was around um, end of 2001. Uh, we thought effectively the receivers were coming in. It, it wasn't looking good. We didn't think we were going to get a deal to sort of rebirth the company. 
but actually at the end's degree, and end hour we did. Uh, and I therefore started as one of around, we were around 200 employees. I was the number two in finance to begin with. Uh, so this is early 2002. Um, and we um, sort of actually at the end of 2002. And as we move into 2003, the company is reborn basically with a new management team who had all had sort of got to know very well. The CFO exited the business um, in uh, sort of 2004, and I was still only 31 at the time, uh, but I was just given the opportunity to, to step up because the, both the shareholder and uh, the sort of then CEO uh, knew me very well, and they wanted to give me an opportunity despite my relative lack of experience. I have to believe that they also understood that you got the business model and you were going to be able to assert yourself. I've always been um, quite vocal. I've always been able to communicate and sort of express. And I've always, I think, had a very naturally good business acumen. Um, so I actually, you know, sort of have always been able to convey my opinion in, in, a, in a way. And I'm very analytical with numbers. I get numbers. I remember numbers. And, you know, I suppose I had a lot of the signs. And, and thankfully, you know, it was a guy called Jim Kinsella. He, he gave me the opportunity. And he, you know, I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity he gave me. That being said, I was thrown in at the deep end uh, as a finance leader. Uh, interestingly, never bothered about being a woman uh, in the sense that I was the only female in the exec team for many years. Um, and that you know, never really crossed my mind as a barrier to my own success. I was lucky that it happened before I had children and sort of before, you know, so I think that helped, you know, in the sense I got prime promotion relatively early. But it definitely wasn't without difficulty because, you know, I did really did not have the experience to do the role at the time I was promoted. And I basically had to learn on the job. Uh, and this was in a very challenging time. Interview was spending broadly around 120 million a year. We had zero revenues when we started. So I was borrowing from my shareholder 10 million, you know, euros a month. Uh, so hugely, you know, sort of loss making business. But with the team who were a hugely, you know, talented team and, you know, I remain close to that team, you know, today, we managed to transform into Root. Um, so I got, you know, both the then CEO was Jim and then the CEO who came up to go over around 2007. Uh, they both always stood by me. And yes, I made lots of mistakes, to be clear. Being promoted that young, you know, I definitely, definitely made mistakes. I would definitely know I know so much more today with experience than I did then. Uh, but interestingly, I think I always did pretty well at the, the sort of real sort of CFO type elements. The thing I found our hardest actually was just the pure management of a big finance team. Because although we had not, you know, we grew our revenues eventually to about 750 million, uh, but in the early days they were very low, but we were quite a complex organization because we were set up all over Europe. Uh, so we've got legal entities, tax exposure, lots of different things for me to deal with. And I, I very much had to learn how to also manage a big team. And I've been very lucky, um, you know, ultimately with, with the team that I inherited. And many of you actually sit with me today, Bill Carlos. To finish kind of on the career, we, we transformed that business. I did lots of M&A. Uh, we did debt rising on the public debt markets. Uh, eventually went into private, private equity ownership, where again, I, I just learned so much from our private equity owners. Um, and we had a successful sale of, of Interroot from Interroot's perspective at least to GTT, who is also an, an American business, um, telecoms business. So that sale was concluded in uh, May 2018. Uh, and I, at that point, decided to take six months off. I wanted to go back to building something. So I could have gone to other very much bigger companies and gone on and be much more about 
sort of being an established finance leader in a big business. But personally, I love the entrepreneurial. I love building a business from scratch. I was very interested in technology uh, and I got the opportunity to go join Go Carlos. For those of us who are not as familiar with uh, with telecom, I, I picked up the press release of the sale when I saw you had built your career at uh, Interroot. It became operator of one of Europe's largest independent fiber networks and cloud networking platforms and was sold for nearly $2 billion. So uh, interesting, quite a sizable entity by the time it was sold. When did it begin generating revenues? In the early 2000s there? Yeah. So, we, so the initial revenues, we started off in 03 with around 20 million uh, and that grew to 750 million at the point of sale. Half of that was organic, half was acquired through various acquisitions that we did over many years. Uh, so a little bit 50-50. We were always quite innovative as a telecoms business. So because we were not tied to a sort of BT, BT methodology or, you know, an AT&T or whatever, that we were actually quite innovative. So the technology side is, was always something that I, you know, felt pretty passionate about. Um, so we, um, you know, we managed to scale the business, you know, and it was scaled in the end to something much bigger, to be honest, than any of us probably set out originally thinking we would do. Uh, and it took us that long to actually make the business proper, really profitable and really cash generative. So at the point at which we sold the business, you know, we were generating free cash flow of, of around 50 million. Um, so it was, you know, when we used to lose 150. So, you know, a, a very, very big transformation. You had shared that when you first arrive in the CFO office, you know, you were a bit over your head or being challenged in certain ways. Um, but just to just to be clear here, when this company was sold, you had had held that role. Is it a, a, over a little more than a decade or more? Um, so I have to believe uh, towards the end, uh, you were pretty, pretty well established and feeling quite confident Um uh, as you drove the strategy of what became a rather large uh, network for Europe. How, how am I doing? Am I characterizing that correctly? Or? Uh, that's, that's very well, that's true. It's interesting because um, obviously when you learn on the job, I think it's very, and I'm very diff I feel very different in my role today at God Cardless than I did, did ever probably in through because my, yeah. I've got my, all of my experience to fall back on. Uh, but I think what, what I learned um, over the years was I gained confidence for sure. I realized that as you make mistakes, you learn from them and you broadly don't repeat them. Uh, I did have my, still had challenges towards the end of, of my career because when the private equity guys came in, I would say at first they probably looked at me and weren't so sure that I was the right person for that role uh, because private equity typically wants to put in a very experienced CFO, someone they knew. Uh, but I think I, you know, um, in fact, I know that I did prove myself to them, didn't always necessarily agree. You know, I challenged quite often. But I also say to this day that what I learned from the private equity ownership, you know, really transformed me. So that was the last sort of four years of, of Interim's existence, uh, just because, you know, they brought a whole new insight into how to look at the business. So private equity uh, acquired it uh, about five years prior to it. Yeah, only sold. only a minority stake actually, which is why. So I, that, you know, I think in truth, you know, the the majority shareholder also was a big supporter of mine, which helped kind of that that sort of transition. Uh, but they acquired a minority stake um, four years prior to sale, um, and basically uh, they also enabled us to help to drive the business to buy a do a pretty big acquisition. 
Uh, and we also went out to the debt markets at that point. So we had, you know, we had bonds listed at one point. Um, so the, that also massively, you know, from a career perspective, was a great experience. You know, I love dealing with investors and with analysts. And I actually thrive on challenging truth. I mean, I, I think I've always known that. Yeah. You mentioned the sale. Um, can you tell us about that process? It had to be uh, pretty hectic. Yes, it was a very intense sales process that we went through as we were selling into you know, we went out to a, a very, very big number of potential buyers. We had something like 10 people in in doing due diligence, uh, sort of in the later stages. You know, all bids went up in the second round. It was really competitive. And that was hugely challenging. And probably to add, I know you like to have a bit of personal insight, and I'm very open about this. The time we sold the business, I was also uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. And so went through that sort of treatment at the same time as I was also selling the business. Uh, which probably tells you a little bit about me and my character. You know, luckily, I was diagnosed early and everything was great and good. And, uh, you know, I managed, I coped very well with the chemo and stuff. So I, I just, I managed through it. But uh, it was a very interesting and challenging time, both at a personal and, and professional level. Uh, and it was great that we eventually, you know, did sell the business. I mean, some ways I would have loved to have continued to be part of it. We could have potentially have gone into private equity ownership. Uh, in the end, you know, the best bid was from, from DTT. And so all of the exec team at that point were asked to leave and, and we all moved on to different things. So we're going to want to ask you about when the door opened for you at Go Cardless. But before we, we ask you about your arrival there, tell us about Go Cardless. What kind of company is this? What does it do? And, and what exactly are its offerings? Yes, yeah, so I think what's very relevant is why I chose to join it, because I am a CFO and a lot of our, the people, you know, the, the sort of person we have a relationship with our customers is the CFO, because we're a payments business. So clearly, you know, what, you know, quite often uh, the person who will be running payments, uh, i.e. running how they you, you get paid as a, as a company is the CFO. And one of the reasons why I chose to join uh, GoCardless was because I really believe in the product. So what we enable is um, effectively a pull mechanism. So we pull money from merchants banks. It's called direct debit in the UK. I know that's not a particular familiar phrase um, in the US, uh, but if you take ACH, we use the banking scheme being ACH and we are, we are able to pull money from a customer's account and it comes into GoCardless's account and then we move it on to the the, uh, the merchant as we would call them. Um, so we are a payments business. We're, you know, think similar to Stripe, but we don't do cards. We are all bank to bank uh, and that we believe as a business that focus on bank to bank is, is the right is the right thing to do. Um, and that's very much our, our core strategy. We operate in um, various geographies, so we're able to process payments in the UK, which was the core and starting market. Uh, also in uh, SEPA or Europe, so all across the European, SEPA is the banking platform of, of Europe, um, Australia and New Zealand, so ANZ, um, and then also US and Canada uh, as well. So that, we don't cover the entire world, but we cover obviously a big part of, a big part of the world. Um, and we have a big range of customers, our merchants from small sort of SB um, type merchants, you know, even sort of at some level owner managed up until some sort of much bigger enterprises, uh, such as DocuSign, um, you know, being a, a name, uh, but a lot amongst many others. So we, um, we have, uh, I think we're a great product because what we ultimately enable is for our customers to get paid easily. And um, some, some of the things we, you know, sort of our strap line is that we want to take the pain out of getting paid. And that was very real to me as a CFO of a multinational business because one of the issues I did have at Interview was that we had 
a lot of big customers where managing those payments was, you know, through traditional credit control. So, you know, you bring up and you have relationships. But we also had a really long tail of small customers that basically used to be a complete nightmare to get them to pay us. And I can see how a product like what we do, which is it's all very technology friendly as well. It's very much integrated with lots of different partners, you know, Sorara, Zero, et cetera. Um, as well as some other bigger accounting, you know, discussions that we're having now. But ultimately, the app is a, it's all web-based, so everything everything's in the cloud. But it allows you to collect money in an automatic way. So if you are a subscription business or you're a business that pays regularly, you know, so you think of telecoms, you're paying for an internet service or something like that, we would allow that collection to work automatically. Um, and that's what we do. Uh, we do it in multi-currencies, so we allow, you know, also translation into Forex. We also are starting now to develop an offer um sort of products on top which allow you to get more success because if you look at bank to bank versus cards one of the key differences is you get much like you get lower failure rates on bank to bank so that's a plus but we can improve those failure rates even more by some of the intelligence that we have because of the data that we sort of we own and use in the platform we're also you know it is competitive from a price perspective to, to cards as well which is why it's you know quite often uh, kind of grew out there and, and we're doing really well growing quickly uh, great team um, founder you know huge inspirational character again the other reason I joined was was definitely down to him and the rest of the management team you know our CTO Carlos too um, and you know it's such an exciting place to be you know I love the fact that it's a technology business pure technology business uh, based on you know some really intelligent uh, thinking about how to make getting paid a bit easier i'm curious has the capital structure taken shape here have you raised money over time and uh, where is it today yeah so we're, on, we're already on so so we've closed series e uh, as a funding round as i joined the business so that was uh, coming up to two years ago or just just nearly two years uh we've done a little small top-ups through that but really all just add-ons to series e uh so we're in pretty strong shape actually financially uh i think if you look back in the press that was about 100 million dollars that we raised at that point in time um, so, and we're, you know, continuing to grow and continue to invest, really excited about our opportunity in the US, uh, because I don't know, you know, how close you are to, you know, the, the payments models, but still such a big amount of check payments in the US particularly. And we are a great replacement for a check payment because ultimately it's coming out of somebody's bank account, which is exactly what we also do and facilitate. Um, so therefore we do see a big, a big opportunity um, and we are just starting to build our brand um, over there. We're set up in San Francisco, um, whereas versus in the UK where actually we all already do have a fairly established brand. So we're always interested in really that, that first 12 months after you arrive. Um, yeah. And, uh, d d you know, did you reorganize finance in some way? Did you plan to do things a little differently? What would you tell us? Well, I would say to Hiroki, who is my, my CEO, that I think he pointed me just in time because the business had got to around 20 million turnover um, at that point in time, sterling, that's it. So $25 million, you know, I think of it in that, in that scale. And it really had no finance department to, to call anything. Uh, there was a small team who put a set of accounts together, but no analytics, no real insight on the leadership team from a finance perspective. Uh, and I went in there, no, pretty much knowing this, uh, but also knowing that we was going to be able to build a team. Uh, we were just doing the Series E at the time, and also our new investors were very keen that, you know, obviously we you know they appointed a, what they would term a proper CFO. Um, so um, I was uh, able to start really and build a team from, you know, not quite scratch, 
And actually what, I, what I've ended up doing is I was very lucky that um, a number of my ex-team um, from interview came with me. So uh, I already have a group of people who I know very well. I've then recruited some fantastic people as well. And also inherited a small team of fantastic people too. So all in all, I was given, you know, sort of, a, we've been able to do, I think, some really good things. Uh, not without challenges, you know, it's, it's been different into a business that, Firstly, had a very big variable base. So a lot of our revenue, well, it's, it's around 70% now, but is effectively variable in the sense it, it's dependent on the volume of transactions that our merchants or our customers process. Although we've now changed in that model with bigger customers, we, they now make a commitment to give this amount of volume to us. So about 30% of our revenue is now under contract. But that made forecasting really challenging. Uh, also, I've had to learn so much because I didn't know anything about payments. Uh, so I've kind of came in and understand how the banking systems work and, and what we do and all the intricacies that every banking system in the world is different. And therefore, you know, nothing is the same. The basic kind of concept of the platform is the same, but there's lots of laws and regulations that you have to kind of think about differently. So it's just been great. Um, and I've learned so much. I mean, I've learned so much both from my colleagues. It's brilliant to be in a place which is full of young energy. And, you know, I'm learning a lot from, from people younger than me, for sure. Uh, you know, we're great and that we support diversity. You know, we are a, a big uh, promoter both of, of gender and, uh, you know, all, all different sort of types of equality across it we have active bean groups we have active um, lgbt groups and as well as a kind of a woman a woman's um, group as well um, and it's just been fantastic because you know i think we are quite did you, i just really truly could not have picked a better business to work for and i genuinely mean that is there a uh, when you came in though did you feel as if you could see how the company was performing and whether uh, wondering whether there was a metric or a number that you know, you tasked your team with uh, making certain we were aware of it at every given moment or whatever it might have been. Were there certain numbers you needed to raise the profile of and make sure your team on top of? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Because I think, in truthfully, there have been very little financial reporting. I mean, a set of numbers were produced, but there was no analytics and no insights. So uh, one of the key things I think me and, you know, my team who I, you know, my success is 100% down to the fact I've been very lucky to have some very talented people work for me. Uh, but between us, you know, we've been able to really think about kind of new metrics that help to tell, you know, the management team and ultimately the board where the business is going. And a lot of that is around understanding the dynamics that drive the revenue um, in the short term. Because when I joined, you know, really, really no understanding of our forecasting of next month's revenue was significantly out. Uh, and I know one of the things that we've worked really hard to do is to have much, much greater insight and clarity on where revenue is going out on a daily basis. And it's still, you know, you can start surprises, clearly nobody could have possibly forecast COVID. Uh, and, you know, kind of the impact, albeit that's been, you know, very, very manageable for us as a business. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, um, yeah, so no, it's been a, it's definitely been, that was the biggest thing was kind of understanding the drivers of, of revenue on a daily basis uh, so that you got a much better grip of where revenue was likely to progress over the rest of the year. Because obviously a lot of that is, you know, we're thinking about our burn, our EBITDA burn, because we're still loss making, you know, what's our burn profile and how much can we afford to invest to continue to grow in areas where we know we can grow. Uh, so you've got to have a really good grip on where your revenue trajectory is going. And, and that was really the big part of my focus in, in the sort of, well, still is today, but certainly in that first year um, of joining. 
we keep on hearing that in some ways uh, the pandemic has accelerated business trends for certain businesses. And I would imagine Go Cardless might be one of those types of businesses that uh, this environment reveals why uh, some of the approaches that Go Cardless allows or empowers might be of value to businesses. What would you tell us about this environment and whether uh, what I just described is accurate for this company. Yeah, 100%, because um, I think, you know, let's to be clear, you know, we had a base of customers. Some of our customers, our merchants were things like gyms, our hospitality. So they obviously dropped the volumes they were processing and that did have a, you know, a short-term knock-on impact to our revenue base. But the point that's absolutely right is we had our highest ever revenue inbound bookings um, during Q2. And I think that is precisely because people are now thinking, well, online has to be the way forward. Everything's much easier if everything's online, you know, remote working, et cetera, et cetera. It's also much more efficient, you know, if you can get your customers to pay automatically rather than having to chase them, that's much better. It makes cash flow quicker. That's really important. You know, now, you know, businesses are, are kind of people who've never lived through um, sort of any sort of crises before suddenly got hit with this. And I think everything along those lines has just been heightened. You know, we are very suited to the online world and online buying. So, again, you know, hugely great fit. So when we're feeling very, very optimistic about the future uh, and we are now growing again, um, you know, despite the fact that we had that dip uh, to begin with. And of course, many of those businesses will recover uh, and will reopen, uh, reopening or have reopened and, and will continue to collect payments. Well, Catherine, this is where we get to ask you uh, for a finance strategic moment where we're looking for a moment of strategic insight that you've experienced. It might have been early in your career. It doesn't have to be at Go Cardless, but uh, some moment of insight that you experienced given uh, your lines of sight as a finance leader, something you were able to see and respond to. Anything come to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? I think what I learned very on early on in my career was when you have a business that is potentially running out of cash, which is very much where Interview was at one stage, um, that you don't panic, but ultimately you really, really understand your numbers. And no matter what level you are, and obviously, you know, when I left Interview, I had 270 people working for me. I still knew my numbers really well. I knew in that short term, you know, the next three months, six months, I got really good insight on where the business was going because there's no point just living in today. The past is almost irrelevant at some level. I mean, obviously it's not, but what really matters is the future. And, you know, actually living through a crisis, you know, the good thing for me, you know, through with COVID is I've been there in different world and, and obviously COVID is something entirely different, but I lived through the telecoms crash. I lived through the financial crisis of 2007, eight. Uh, and I think the whole thing I've known is, you know, try and keep calm, understand your costs. So you know what levers you can pull if you need to, and really understand where your revenue is going and what, what the factors are that are gonna drive or change your revenue trajectory and know what those sensitivities are. And always have scenarios, even if they're not planned out in detail, in your own head, you're constantly thinking about what might happen on what is going to be my response uh, if that does happen. When we return, CFO Catherine Burkett enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, 
you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're thinking about, and you've already shared some of your your feelings here with us uh, as to when you stepped into a CFO role for the first time. But if you could go back in time and just tell yourself, give yourself some piece of advice as you stepped into that role, what would it be today? Yeah, it's really, it's a very easy question to answer, actually. It would have been that I should have insisted I had somebody very experienced working for me. So I should have gone into that role with an experienced financial controller. So I always tell anybody who's new stepping into a CFO role, make sure you've got a strong team behind you. I unfortunately didn't. Uh, I actually, you know, took me two or three years to build a great team and many of that team is still with me today. Uh, but that was absolutely the one mistake I made. And I, I definitely, definitely suffered for it um, during that sort of first three, of, so three, three or so years of my, of my time. To see we it. also like to ask our guests to reflect a little on the personal side and Share with us, is there a habit or part of a daily routine that you have that you think in some ways has helped you professionally? Again, this is something you do outside of work, most likely. And it could be just a, you know, just a habit that you have, whatever it might come to mind. Yeah, I think I think it's probably two main things, actually. One has been, you know, the support, you know, and my family remaining very, very important to me. So I have, you know, perhaps that came a bit later in life, in truth, after we had the girls. Uh, but I have two daughters, uh, but, you know, I think I always have felt comfortable with saying in meetings, etc. I've got, you know, I've got to go. Uh, and, you know, I think that helps me keep a balance and a perspective. I've also been good at knowing the other way around, though, when work had to matter most. So I think achieving that balance is really, really important. Uh, and now I would say exercise and exercise actually for probably around five to six years a huge part of my own mental well-being well-being and you know I, I, that partly brought home you know as i said about the cancer that certainly sort of helped to accelerate my my drive on the health side but hugely hugely important i do still enjoy a glass of wine though as well to relax we also like to ask for a, a book recommendation again you know it doesn't have to be a business book in fact a lot of cfos like to escape with books as well so but what would you share with us anything yeah, so um, I love, I've actually always loved reading and I do read and I find that's the way that I go to sleep is, is reading a book. Uh, I much prefer novels because I find that I like to uh, like to relax. So I've just read um, a book called The Rosie Project, um, which is all about an artistic um, individual who, and these three books all together. And the last book was incredibly insightful, very personal to me, both from people I've known um, who have, have dealt with autism, but also our younger daughter has also been recently diagnosed. So um, she, um, you know, really, really insightful book. And I know from the many talented people I know who definitely have, uh, are on the autistic spectrum, you know, just what a great attribute it can. And neurodiversity is something I think I will be a big, big supporter and pusher of. But it's a great book and it's something, it's a book that everybody should read. It's a series of three books called The Rosie Project. 
Wow. Wonderful. Thank you. I mean, you introduced us to not just a book, but uh, a subject area, neurodiversity uh, or, or a concept, really, uh, which I imagine many of us are not all that aware of. Uh, but thank you for that. I'm afraid we're up to our, our final question, which is where we ask you to look forward finally and share with us what are your priorities over the next 12 months as a finance leader? Um, so over the next 12 months is to ensure that Go Countless definitely comes out of the COVID um, so pandemic in the strongest possible way. Uh, that we continue to help all of our merchants succeed too. You know, our customers, you know, we want to help them be successful. And then, you know, sort of a final point, I want to really continue to help to push uh, diversity and women in leadership. Um, and, you know, 12 months is probably a little short to kind of achieve that, but particularly as well, being a mum of two girls, you know, continuing to, to be on that and prove that, yeah, I'm not saying I have it all, you know, I've definitely had to make compromises in my life, uh, but you can do it if you make the right choices. Catherine Burkett, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you very much. It's been very good. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.